Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 150th video cast, 140th podcast for the week ending September 1st, 2022. I can't believe it. 150. That's that's almost three years now. We're going on. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I'd like to welcome all the new people listening in this week, and of course, our loyal listeners who've been with us since the beginning. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, we got a lot to cover this week, so we'll quickly start with the media. I want to thank Ellie Terrett, Lauren Simonetti, and Liz Clayman for having me on the Clayman Countdown this week. Uh, also, want to thank uh, Celestine Francis, Ginny Go, and uh, Tanvir Gill and Will Kolaris for having me on CNBC Street Signs Asia on Sunday night. Also like to thank uh, uh, Paul Vigna and Will Horner for including me in their Wall Street Journal article this week. Uh, this was about uh, the uh, market was starting down today and we were talking about the jobs report so you can find that right on the website. Uh, also like to thank Mike Teak and Corey Hale for having me on public.com. That's an online trading platform earlier this week. Uh, you can watch that at your leisure. Also, thanks to Zoltan Saranyi and AJ Fabino for having me in their article about NVIDIA today. Uh, I'd like to thank Davide Barbusia for including me in his article on Reuters today uh, regarding treasuries and the jobs report. Want to thank Bansari Kamdar and Tiyashi Data for including me in their article on Alibaba. And want to um, thank Bansari Kamdar, uh, UZ, Julie Zhu, and Tom Westbrook uh, for including me in their article on Baba on the uh, 26th when they announced the deal was going to happen. My quote was a long time coming. This has been a huge overhang on China ADRs, causing some of the higher quality businesses like Alibaba to be mispriced for some time. As the deal moves forward and the fog is lifted, many of these stocks will have significant appreciation, not because the business has changed. The big tech platforms have weathered the pandemic and cracked down fairly unscathed fundamentally, but because the uncertainty has been removed, inviting investors back to the group. And we're going to see that. And we're so, we lucked out in that Alibaba is going to be one of the first ones to be audited in September. And we'll talk about that more uh, in, in the video cast. And finally, thanks to Devik Jain and Bansari Kamdar for including me in their article this week as well regarding to... Uh, regarding the uh, inflation numbers coming up, etc. So I uh, just want to get a barometer because the week's been a little choppy. The market needed a reason to consolidate. Jay Powell gave it to them on uh, Friday. Uh, and we had talked about that a couple weeks ago once the Johnny-come-lately chasers were coming in. We said we're probably going to consolidate here for a number of weeks uh, and, and maybe do a little trapdoor action just to punish the latecomers that didn't believe the, the June rally. That's what's happened. This 10-day uh, put call ratio is starting to come in. Uh, so as that comes down, you're going to see equity start to go up uh, over time. This is just a little head fake here. Uh, and more of these indicators are getting back to areas where you want to be a buyer than a seller. This 1% EMA on the NASDAQ's gotten hit hard the last few days since uh, Powell spoke. Uh, we're going to talk about what that speech means and how it will impact the markets and how much of it is talk the talk versus walk the walk, the, the subject of the, this week's article. 
Uh, the NASDAQ cumulative volume ratio, again, these are generally levels where you want to be a buyer when people are getting washed out. NASDAQ declining issues, trend, same thing. Um, on balance volume indicator. So this is the type of action you see after a big uh, bounce. You, you usually do get this type of correction here. And then uh, material stocks. Here's healthcare. It's already down to uh, healthcare stocks about above the 20 EMA. That's usually areas where if you buy it, you get paid. Biotech is included in that, so that's good to see. Uh, and then here's the National Association of Active Investment Managers equity exposure updated today at 32.36. So look at this. You had this 18% move uh, off the bottom. They all started chasing in early August when we said yellow light, uh, and they've all been flushed here uh, down to 33. They're getting flushed out. And uh, this is very common off of big lows. We saw it off the pandemic low here. Uh, they chased, they didn't believe it, they chased up and then they had to get short term flushed out and then the market kept pushing higher. I think we're in the same situation here. The PMO buy all, this probably has to get a little bit lower. Uh, like, I like it to get down to zero before uh, you start to get overly aggressive, but I think there are a lot of things on sale. Uh, that uh, that we'll talk about here. Uh, the Dow Jones PMO by D uh, Dow Jones looks a little bit better here than the than the uh, overall uh, indices, and the S and P looks pretty good here, down at 10%. That's historically been a buy area. This is um, percent on PMO crossover buy signals. I don't really care about the technical indicator. I just care how it matches up to points of max pessimism and max optimism. And it does a pretty good job, which is it's why it's in my uh, basket of indicators that I look at pretty regularly. Um, bullish percent SPX. This is the same type of move off the pandemic lows. You get this straight up move. Then you get a little check back while the market consolidates sideways for a few weeks. Same thing here. Uh, and then you just grind, grind back up. Uh, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen as we work our way to new highs again over the next 12 months. Uh, the put call ratio, as I said on uh, Liz's, Liz's show on uh, Fox Business with Lauren, uh, everyone was buying insurance after the 8% correction. Uh, put call hit 122. It's rolled over since. Uh, advanced decline is, is pretty extreme. McClellan Oscillator on the NASDAQ is at levels where you want to be a buyer, not a seller. Uh, and uh, so on and so forth. So we can just measure these things take probabilistic views, and, uh, and um, uh, McClellan Oscillator, again, this is levels where, this is the NYSE version, where you want to be a buyer versus a seller. Uh, this thing, the New York NYSE advanced decline, this is a flush level where you always get a bounce. Uh, and the skew, this is the most important thing. This looks exactly like it did the month after the bottom uh, of the pandemic, and then after the check. It's basically... Uh, this is this is the um, people buying out of the money catastrophe insurance, uh, one and two standard deviation out of the money pricing for uh, basically uh, put protection put protection uh, versus the VIX measures at the money uh, put protection. So this is more institutional, and basically what this says is you've already had the fire. Uh, there's nothing left to insure. That's what happens at bottoms. Uh, and when you get the skew down this low, when you get the skew super high uh, and you have a lot of people insuring these one and two standard deviation moves, that's when you want to get cautious. This time in April of 2021, they were, 
you know, uh, rather August, they were about five, six months early, but it started to signal. It's not always a signal, but when you're this low, it's like there's nothing left to lose. It's, it's like, you know, you, you just had a fire. You're, you're down to the studs and the, uh, and the you know, cement, cement foundation. Uh, do you go call up your state farm guy and say, uh, you know, I didn't have insurance. Now would be a good time to start. And, and that's exactly what this says. That, that would be absolutely crazy. So um, VIX, you know, a mini spike up. But again, we've talked about this heart attacks and then uh, aftershocks. This was just a little aftershock and on to the next. Uh, you can see it in the different groups, communication services as it relates to bullish percent. These are point and figure percentages. We don't use point and figure, but we do use this indicator as a barometer for sectors. The NASDAQ is just getting up off the mat, uh, rechecking and, and then ready to move higher. We saw a similar situation here in uh, off the pandemic lows. You see it basically every time, even off the 2011. This looks most like the 2011 where you had this bottom and then you get up, people get excited. You take out the Johnny come latelys before you jam it up higher. And I think this, uh, the uh, P CPI numbers on the 13th are gonna be the reason to really jam it up higher. Unless the job report uh, really uh, you know, uh, is, is a lot worse than expected tomorrow, I think the CPI number is gonna be the, the catalyst. So tomorrow the jobs number is expected to be strong. If that's the case, the narrative will come back, oh, the Fed needs to do 100 basis points in two weeks or 75 basis points in two weeks. You know, inflation's gonna be out of control, yada, yada, yada. Uh, good news would be bad news. If it's, the, the, the surprise would be if, uh, if it came in worse than expected, like we didn't get 300,000 uh, uh, non-farm payrolls. Uh, I wouldn't bet on that, but uh, no one's positioned for it. So I always like to keep an open mind. Uh, in which case you could get the catalyst much sooner than the 13th, but uh, we'll, we'll know tomorrow. Same with consumer discretionary, same story. You get these monster rallies, then you get the checkbacks for the Johnny come latelys uh, before you take back. Same thing with the pandemic and et cetera. You can see it across the board. Gold miners are beat down. I have no interest in gold miners. It could work or not work, but they just have an uncanny way of losing money no matter what happens, regardless of the price of gold. And it's just basically the same story across sector after sector after sector after sector. Uh, so that gives you a feel. Uh, Fed's tough talk could be transitory. Fed Chief Jerome Powell's hawkish tone at Jackson Hole sent stocks tumbling, but inflation could ease and the, and, the economic and the economy soften before rates rise aggressively. This is our base case, and we will get uh, more into that as we move forward tonight. 10 reasons why the U.S. economy could be setting up for a bullish run like the Roaring Twenties. This has been our base case. And six ways to invest in a resulting long-term wave of returns, according to uh, the head of asset allocation at UBS. Our base case is predicated on demographics, which we went into extensively last week. If you didn't catch that article, it may be the most important one I've, I've written all year. Um, you can get that here on hedgefundtips.com. It's called Three Investing Themes for the Next Three Years. It's in the most popular post, uh, only been overtaken by the one we wrote today. But you can also click on commentary or sentiment at any time and pull up all the articles we've ever written. While you're there, click on terms. This is opinion, not advice. We don't know your financial situation. We're generally talking to accredited investors. So um, uh, do this as, as, um, and consult a financial advisor before taking any action. Uh, moving right along. Um, 
Okay, so their, their basis, uh, this guy Draho from UBS listed 10 reasons why he's bullish on the US. Uh, first is government spending on infrastructure. Second is companies increasingly investing in themselves with capital expenditures. Third is public and private equity spending in the energy sector to transition to greener options. 370 billion in green energy incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, consumer spending, which makes up two thirds of GDP may continue to boom. Uh, that's demographically driven in my view. Stronger real wage growth would be a positive for spending. That's, that's probably gonna persist, I agree with that. Uh, that's the non-transitory part of inflation. Uh, growing entrepreneurship, yes, uh, people are still taking risks despite negative con consumer sentiment. Uh, I agree with that. Private equity and venture capital money is also abundant relative to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, so that's good to see. And businesses continuing to digitize themselves. They're doing that in the U.S., but they're doing it uh, in mass in China. They're five years behind the curve. That's a theme we're going to talk about and predict productivity should continue to grow thanks to the rise of digitization and the increase in private and public spending. So we agree with all that good article. JP Morgan strategist sees bullish stock signals in the U.S. jobs data. Uh, jobless claims indicate an 11% rally in the next 12 months, according to JP Morgan. Um, strategists still expect last big Fed rate hike in September. So they think uh, big one and done. I think uh, less than big one and done. That will depend on the CPI numbers. Um, I'm in the 50 bipped camp, uh, maybe even less if it really comes in uh, nicely, which it could certainly do so. And we're going to talk about why. Um, but uh, what they're saying is, uh, okay, weekly jobless claims are tracking more than 10% higher than the prevailing three-month moving average. And quote, historically, that's been associated with a recession every single time. Uh, and that's been my base case, that the, that the recession is already, we had the two quarters of negative GDP growth. Everyone's looking for one at the end of the year or next year. It's already happened. Um, S&P has tended to gain 11% on average in the following 12 months, going back to 1970. The JP Morgan strategists are encouraged by the fact that companies continue to boost their earnings forecasts, while all the analysts, by the way, were calling for 20% takedown in earnings. They came down 2% in Q2. Uh, while also betting that the Federal Reserve will make its large, last large increase in interest rates next month, they have been, oh, next month, I guess this was written yesterday, uh, uh, which is this month, September. Um, sustained rebound in fears, scorching inflation, hawkish federal tall growth. So, um, so that's that. Uh, the stock market typically bottoms before the end of a Fed rate cycle so everyone's thinking the fed has to pivot before equity goes equities go up and mark hulbert here at uh market watch shows that um uh that's that's not the case and uh the s p bottoms on average uh 57 days before the fed pivots but in some cases it's as much as 176 days before the fed pivot fed pivots which was the case uh in 1970 to 1989 uh, 1987 to 1989, which was also a mild recession. Uh, they started hiking in 87. They stopped hiking in 89. But the S&P bottomed 176 days before they stopped hiking. Uh, and it gained 11% uh, before the end of the cycle. So um, I think we may have... Um, 
you know, I, I think the bottom is in for, for June. That's uh, not really consensus. A lot of people are looking for a retest or a break of that. Uh, certainly the talking heads on TV. But this is valuable information because everyone thinks the Fed has to pivot before good things happen, and it's simply not the case. And that was our case in June when we were telling everyone hedge funds have sold the most amount of equities ever in history, even more than the great financial crisis this week. If, if, you, if you don't go long here, I don't know what to tell you. You're in the wrong business. And sure enough, that was the low. Uh, Tom Lee was out saying inflation is starting to drop like a rock, leading to deflation in certain parts of the economy. Uh, Lee observed outright deflation in some areas of the economy, suggesting that inflation is less sticky than perceived. <clears throat> Stock market investors are looking for a cool down in inflation as it would allow the Fed to ease its rate hike trajectory. The most important thing in my book is not just the fact that they stopped hiking rates, it's the fact that the dollar will stop going up. The second the dollar stops going up, you are going to see a boom in emerging markets, and China is the biggest weight in emerging markets. So, Fundstrat said in its note, a slowdown would be welcome news. Uh, okay, if inflation caused that, okay, we covered that. According to Lee, 42% of CPI components are declining from recent highs equals deflation, Lee said, adding that five of the nine U.S. regions saw outright deflation in July on a month-over-month -month basis. These five regions represent 49% of GDP. In East, North, Central, CPI annualized is negative 3.96, outright deflation, said Lee. Additionally, leading inflation indicators like used auto prices, airfares, and real estate suggest many other components of CPI could start falling outright. We've been talking about the used car for months. The reason used cars are coming down is because the chips are coming in for new car producers. As that new car supply comes online, uh, the demand for used will uh, drop and uh, you will see a collapse in used car prices. Um, there are many counterpoints to suggest inflation could fall faster than consensus expects. This in turn would change the path of Fed policy. Arguably, the inflation swaps markets are already reflecting this, hence the lower levels of implied inflation, Lee explained. And we covered that on uh, Fox and on CNBC, that uh, five-year inflation break-evens were, despite all of the hawkishness from uh, Powell, uh, we're at 271, which is uh, very, very reasonable. So um, digging into actual components, Lee highlighted that commodity prices like gasoline, lumber, and wheat are falling like a rock as are electronics, meats like chicken and beef and clothing. At the same time, used car vehicles, airfares, and durable goods are starting to fall like a rock. And history has shown that rent and housing costs will fall like a rock soon, according to the note. Analyzing the previous 40 years of rent data for New York City and San Francisco, Lee found that when owner's equivalent rent falls, it falls like a rock. Rents could call, fall a lot faster than many expect. You know, it's interesting. You know, I have a TikTok channel just to, just to um, uh, Presley cuts up all my media clips and puts it on TikTok. So I do check out TikTok from time to time. And it's an unbelievable indicator, literally like, Six months ago, every single post on TikTok was about crypto and all of these coins, and it was just going crazy, and that was the peak. And then after that peaked, the, the next thing you saw was all these young guys with all of these real estate, buying tons and tons of real estate properties uh, at the top and renting them and saying, you know, debt is good, you wanna be leveraged up uh, as much as possible, that's how you get rich. 
and, uh, and, and you know, this would very much uh, be a, a, a perfect antidote like the crypto volume was on TikTok, the real estate volume on TikTok, and then we could see these owners equivalent rents collapse and all these guys that levered up at, at the top uh, that, you know, get, get smoked. And, um, uh, that, that's just the way it goes. So, uh, I'm going to start t- paying more attention to that because it's been a great indicator when something gets extremely, extremely popular, you're probably near an inflection. And I like the, the, uh, the data that he's applying to this, uh, in his note. And Lee reiterated his call that the second half rally in the stock market could ultimately drive the S&P to new highs by year end. This is non-consensus. I am more in this camp than the people that think we're going to break the lows. I could see 47, 4,800. It's ambitious. I'm more kind of in the six to nine month camp from here, but it would not be out of the question because zero uh, percent of institutions are positioned for this. And that's usually when they punish the hell out of them. So uh, we see second half rally thesis intact, Lee concluded. So uh, I think that's a powerful stance. Uh, Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel from, uh, it says inflation has already peaked and he warns the, uh, warns the Fed risks going overboard with its rate hikes and sparking a deep recession. We agree with that. We also think that uh, Powell is aware of this and um, uh, learned his lesson in December of 2018. So the game plan is to talk hawkish and act dovish talk hawkish and act dovish and it's working and we went into this uh in all three uh video appearances on fox on cnbc and on public uh definitely take a listen to those now on to china uh nasdaq china gauge could buck global stock slide if history is right index was among the few to climb in august of a cross asset gloom gauge is benefiting from a surge in e-commerce firm Pinduoduo, Duo. Uh, if you guys remember, Pinduoduo shoots up after pro- profit more than triples as consumer sentiment uh, recovers. Remember, Alibaba re- reported uh, way back in, you know, many weeks ago, Pinduoduo is the most recent e-commerce platform and, uh, and they're showing that consumer sentiment is roaring back after those Shanghai and Beijing lockdowns. In, uh, in April, they had another Chinding, which is an industrial city, lockdown uh, um, uh, today. But, um, but the factories over there, which is an industrial city, are running that you know, round-the-clock thing where the employees sleep in the warehouse. So uh, it shouldn't be too much collateral damage from that one. Uh, China's stimulus. All the steps they've taken recently to um, boost the economy in a, summer, in a summary so last week you had a 100 trillion yuan stimulus package, uh, 19 measures to uh, help the economy. Uh, uh, the week before that, you had a 200 billion yuan special loans for property. The week before that, you had an uh, interest rate cut of 10 basis points. The week before that, you had 1.1 trillion, uh, or rather, uh, six weeks before that, you had 1.1 trillion yuan policy bank financing for infrastructure. A uh, month before that, you had the 33-point rescue package. Uh, the three days before that, you had a 35-basis-point cut to the minimum mortgage rate. And a month before that, you had a 25-basis-point cut to the reserve requirement ratio. So um, all this stuff works on a six- to nine-month lag. But you can see how it's all been in the pipeline. It's only been impaired by the shutdowns, which uh, are getting less and less. But they're still prevalent, which uh, is to... Uh, 
Xi Jinping's political detriment. Uh, he will get this term, but it may only be a five-year term. We'll see if they give him the Mao title or they don't. Um, but uh, his position is much more tenuous than it was uh, prior to zero COVID policy, which uh, many business leaders and wealthy that control the country are against, uh, including one of his politi political opponents, Li. So uh, China pessimism prevails as traders overlook key earnings beats. Investors choo choose to scrutinize bad news out of solid earnings. Um, power shortage, COVID, and property slump weigh on sentiment. sentiment. Earnings from Chinese firms have shown resilience under harsh lockdowns, but traders are zeroing in on the pockets of disappointment. This is just the sentiment game, and this flips on a dime. Opinion follows trend, and I think I said it on CNBC. After Alibaba's up 30 or 40 points, people won't be able to get enough of it. Uh, same business, same political climate, same everything. Uh, it's just that's the way it works. So, um, and then, you know, you'll get up to 160 and when everyone starts panicking into it and then you'll get a pullback to 140 to punish them out, uh, et cetera. So just, just expect it. This is the normal process. Happens every time and on to the next. So uh, my idea of a great business is one that has a shortage of competitors. That's from Peter Lynch. Uh, you know, it's interesting that he points to that because, um, oh, and by the way, this, this just shows Pinduoduo breaking out and this golden index going over a major, uh, what do they call this, uh, moving average envelope. I don't even know what a moving average envelope is, but it looks like it's making a new trend. Uh, you know, look, we just got to get through these audits and we got to get the dollar to stop going up, which I think could be a function of the CPI numbers this month. And then it's off to the races for emerging markets. As Steve Goldstein points out in Market Watch, here's what might be the trade of 2023, how to dabble in it now with a big Chinese flag. And he points to the chart that we talked about a few weeks ago. Steve does read our stuff and listen to our uh, video get, gets our video cast and podcast. This is emerging markets to U.S. equities uh, ratio. And um, uh, the Fed fighting inflation through financial means, means risk assets rally, rallies both force and allow them to hike more aggressively. Uh, duh, 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 catch up with others. Okay, so where's the line I'm looking for here? Ah, what would cause emerging markets to break out? Quote, we hear that investors are waiting for a top in U.S. rates and the U.S. dollar to buy in earnest, the B of A team say. Uh, that's not just yet, but could come in the fourth quarter. Long emerging markets could be the trade of 2023, they say. So uh, I think it's going to be sooner than that, but, um, but we'll see. The key is it's coming, and this is a secular trend. You don't just get a one or two quarter move when something like this reverses. You get a multi-year move, you know, many hundreds of percent in the indices, and then individual companies can be really rocking uh, multiples of that. And that's what we're positioned for, whether it's in this quarter or next quarter. I think it's going to be sooner than later, uh, but it's just um, a few smart people are starting to see that. SEC says Beijing to allow U.S. to review audit documents of Chinese companies. We know that. China sends officials to supervise pol policy rollout in provinces. Inspectors dispatched to five regions to review policy action. Move comes after the latest 19-point proposal to help growth. So they're not just giving stimulus. They're sending these communists out to the regions to make sure that the money gets into the regions so that they stimulate growth, i.e. what we covered last week, they are panicking and they want to get that 
1 trillion yuan out into the market as quickly as humanly po possible and get these projects jump-started. Chinese state media lauds US, lauds US-China audit deal as symbolic for ties, uh, meaning that uh, a useful lesson for both nations. It's commendable that concerns of both sides have been understood and respected by each other and their needs have been met through wise arrangements. So uh, that's kind of an olive branch. Uh, and then, of course, uh, um, the Biden administration knocked it down with the uh, stupid NVIDIA policy today about the chips, which they don't realize the chips can't be used. The chips that they're, are in question are not used for military purposes, so they'll figure that out. Uh, plus, I think uh, one of their favorite Congress people has a ton of call options on NVIDIA, so <laughs> I guess they didn't consult with that person before they uh, put out the ridiculous policy. China's public cloud market to triple by 2025 as industrial sector drives new wave of expansion, according to a McKinsey report. So this is a very important um, note. And what it says is that China's public cloud market to triple in size in the next few years from $32 billion in 2021 to $90 billion in 2025. What's more interesting about that is that Alibaba has 36.7% of China's public cloud in infrastructure as a service and platform as a service market. Their second competitor is Tencent with 11% and 10.8% for Huawei. Now, that goes back to the quote from Peter Lynch about having a business that has limited competition is his favorite type of business. And they've got share. So, you know, they're going to have 36.7. The key is with all the crackdowns and everything else, it's impaired a lot of their competition. It would not surprise me if Alibaba's share of public cloud goes to 40%. 40 of, of 90 billion would be 36 billion. And that's in the next three years to 2025. Uh, and that's business. That, that money goes straight to the bottom line. So if you think the multiples are cheap today, uh, wait till they're dropping another $30 billion uh, or, you know, $20, $30 billion to the bottom line. Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, just do the math 20 times, 10 times or 20 times, let's call it a 15 times multiple. That's another $450 billion of uh, value uh, or market cap. And today uh, the business is trading below 300 million. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, it's once in a generation where you get this type of business with this type of moat at such discounted prices. But, you know, when they're there, no one believes them. And that's just the way, you know, stock market is unbelievable. It's the only market in the world that when they hold a clearance sale, no one shows up. It's, it's mind boggling to me. But all right. Chinese Premier Li says stimulus is now more forceful than 2020. If you remember from one of my uh, video cast a few weeks ago and I was saying forceful stimulus. Uh, well, now uh, Lee, Premier Lee is singing the same song, uh, singing from the same hymnal. And Beijing last week announced their 19-point stimulus plan. And what they're saying is the, the stimulus has never been this forceful. And they had massive stimulus in the early days of the COVID. If you remember, they had a monster rally into early 2021. That was when Baba hit $300. And uh, now they're saying we got even more stimulus than that. Uh, and, and, it's, uh, and it's in action. So uh, why Xi Jinping's third term doesn't mean he'll rule for life. Um, you know, 
this goes into his political enemies. It goes into his zero COVID policies. It goes into his conflict with Lee, Lee Kui-Kang, uh, uh, who is uh, hailing from a rival political faction. Um, and we will know uh, whether he gets this people's leader previous uh, title previously reserved for Mao. If that doesn't happen, it could be seen as evidence of internal pushback, perhaps from elders nervous that allowing another Mao-style personality cult. No matter what, it could be years before the world finds out about the political maneuvering now taking place, if ever. Uh, moving on, Alibaba Netties picked for the first batch of audit reviews. That's exciting. The PCAOB uh, regulators are now flying to Hong Kong for a mid-September uh, audit, and Alibaba will be the first, which is amazing because once that gets done, that, that headwind is done, and that could spark a lot of institutional inflows back into the market, even though it has nothing to do with the underlying business. It's a short-term uh, sentiment factor, and we can take that, that off, the, off the table and move on to bigger and better things. This is something that I talked about last week, why Xi is now boxed and why they've been doing panic, forceful stimulus, is because his tech crackdown fueled the crisis, which was out-of-work youth. So now he's got 20% youth unemployment who are educated and pissed off. And, you know, the Alibabas and the Tencents used to hire them. Now they're laying them off to, to get lean and uh, generate profits for owners. And uh, so now the communists will have to figure out how to employ these people or they're going to have to stimulate beyond the point of return uh, and just juice the hell out of these companies so they can hire all these unemployed kids. And I think it's probably going to be the latter because, uh, you know, uh, they're more efficient uh, employers than the government could ever be. Uh, China locks down megacity Chengdu. That's the industrial city, I said. City of 21 million is locked down for four days. The businesses are still running on the round-the-clock things. Just, you know, more stupid decisions, but eventually they'll get through it. And um, Taiwan shoots down a drone showing risk of escalation with China. So they, they flew a drone into this island. They shot warning shots yesterday. And uh, the drone flew back to China, and I guess they sent another drone, and uh, the Taiwanese shot it down. I mean, that's the only way you can really deal with a bully. Uh, China knows that they will have the backing of the developed world if they uh, overstep their bounds. And uh, I don't think they want to play that game and become the next Russia uh, with uh, tons of weaponry going to Taiwan and embarrassing themselves before their, their uh, October transition. So, um, you know, this was uh, China has stepped up incursions since the Nancy Pelosi visit, uh, you know, really poorly timed, uh, non-thoughtful foreign policy, but uh, it is what it is. And on to the article of the week, talk the talk or walk the walk stock market and sentiment results. So after an 18.7% rally off the June lows that no one believed and were forced to chase up in the beginning of August, just like the perfect playbook, they opened the trap door with an 8.37% correction consolidation to punish the Johnny-come-latelys. Uh, like I said on CNBC on Sunday evening, Monday morning, the market needed a reason to consolidate, and Jay Powell gave it to them on Friday. Um, so here are my show notes ahead of the segment. Uh, you know, futures were down big, obviously, after a big down day on Friday. Uh, I said Friday was a continuation of jawboning, talk hawkish, act dovish. 
bring down inflation expectations, but don't tighten more than you have to. Two key points to keep in mind regarding Jackson Hole. Number one, the Fed could crush inflation at any time by raising rates to 6% overnight. They haven't done that. And the reason is, one, they don't want to cause a depression. And two, debt servicing, which no one's talking about, is a very key reason. Every 1% hike in uh, Fed funds rate increases the U.S. deficit by $285 billion a year. And with debt to GDP well over 125% right now, uh, it's, uh, it's something that we can ill afford. So talk hawkish, act dovish has been the playbook. Everyone learned it from Draghi in 2012 when the hedge funds were shorting the Italian bonds. He said, we will do whatever it takes. We will buy as many bonds as possible to break your backs. And uh, sure enough, the, they never had to buy one bond. They scared the hell out of them and got them out of the market. And yields went down to, I think at one point, sub-U.S. rates within 12 months after being at like 8 or 9%. Uh, so forward, you know, knowing that the threat is backed up is often uh, enough that you have the ability to crush it. You don't necessarily have to crush it. And we've seen they've talked down demand materially since March even though in the face of what was 9% inflation, they only moved the Fed funds rate up to 225. So that's quite a gap to, that they have left, uh, but still been successful at the same time. And they're gonna continue to do that. Jawboning has worked to anchor inflation expectations, which is what the Fed is uh, most, most cares about is the expectations. They wanna run inflation a bit hot. Uh, they wanna bring down debt to GDP, but, um, but they, they can't let those, uh, expectations out of control and the five-year break-evens that are at 271. So with greater than 20, uh, 125% debt to GDP, we expect the Fed to let inflation run above 2% for some time. We think it's going to be 3 to 5% for the next three to five years. This was the post-World War II playbook when they brought debt to GDP down from 120% to 63% in just five years. Here's the data and the playbook. Look at the hot inflation numbers and the hot GDP numbers in the years following the end of World War II. For World War II, we borrowed aggressively to fight a visible enemy. During COVID, we borrowed aggressively to fight an invisible enemy. So when you shut down the world for a month, you have to stimulate and you have to borrow and you have to do those things to give people money when they're not allowed to work. You just can't shut people down and not give them money to live. And that's exactly what they did. So we had to fight this invisible enemy. And uh, it's not dissimilar from an economic standpoint. I'm not equating COVID to World War II. Uh, but look, a lot of lives were lost and, and an enemy had to be defeated. And uh, with record-breaking uh, vaccines and all the other things that were done and stimulus and backstopping the corporate credit market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they were able to do that. But it cost money. And, the, and, the, and what we're paying for it now, we're paying for it with... Uh, short-term transitory inflation. Some will be um, uh, durable inflation, uh, like wages, maybe some aspects of rents. And that's why I think we're going to run 3 to 5% above trend. This 2% thing, uh, I don't know they'll walk back the rhetoric or not and, and manage expectations to 3 to 5. I think they want to keep expectations pinned at 2, even though the game plan is 3 to 5. So, um, Look at the inflation rate. Truman ended World War II in 1945. In 1946, inflation was 18.1. So we basically had that the first year out of COVID, you know, that 9% inflation. Uh, the next year, it dropped in half to 8.8. .8. The year after that, it dropped to 3. So we're probably going to go 
you know, from 9 to 4.5 to 3.5, and then maybe stay in that range for another few years. So it went 18 to 8 to 3. Then it went negative the, the fourth year. So that was probably some aspect of deflation in 1949. Then it bounced right back above trend to 5.9 to 6.0, and then it normalized at less than a percent. Uh, the other thing is that, uh, you know, they had some negative GDP, and then all of a sudden, uh, once you got that inflation down from 8.8 .8 going towards 3, all of a sudden you were in hot GDP, 4.1% uh, in 1948, 8.7% in 1950, 8% in 1951, 4.1% GDP in 52, 4.7% in 53, a break in 54, and then 55, 7.1%. So we could be going into this environment in the 20s as inflation collapses from, call it, 9% to 4.5% over the next 6 to 12 months. And then uh, GDP starts to ramp up from negative in the first half of this year. Back half is supposed to be plus 1.8 and plus 0.8. So we'll come out of the technical recession, and then we could start to run hot numbers. Hot inflation, hot GDP. Uh, but what's also very interesting is this Fed funds rate is they peaked it out at 3%, which I think is going to be the level where we peak out here. Um, but let's get to it. Note, note the fact that inflation ran up to 18.1% in 1946 before collapsing to negative 2.1 just three years later. They had to get the factories converted and up and running after the soldiers came home, but demand boomed in the meantime. There was more demand for goods than they could supply, causing short-term structural inflation. Sound familiar? Uh, the difference is... Uh, now you can get these factories up and running much faster uh, than they could back in the 40s because of all the technology, the digitization, computers, etc. So <coughs> GDP started to run hot in 1948 at 4.1% and remained high for another five years after that. 51, 8%, 52, 4.1, 53, 4.7, 55, 7.1. Inflation ran above trend for the first few years and then GDP exploded higher as inflation moderated. Of important note is the fact that despite inflation running hot for, few, for a few years, the peak Fed funds rate was 3% during this period. It is, so, so everyone says they have to get the Fed funds rate to match the inflation rate. Well, that would mean they would have gotten the Fed funds rate to 18% or 8% or 6%, but they didn't. They capped it out at 3%. They let GDP end... Uh, inflation run above trend for five years, which brought debt to GDP down dramatically. So it is my expectation that this time will be no different, which implies a maximum of 50 to 75 uh, more in hikes and then done. And it could be less depending on the numbers this year, but let's just assume in that range would be a good playbook. Uh, and here's what happened to debt, GD debt to GDP with that plan. Run inflation hot, run GDP hot, keep the Fed funds rate low, and uh, debt to GDP collapsed from 120% down to the mid-30s by the end of the 60s, but it collapsed to, to the mid-60s uh, by 1953, just six years. So uh, it collapsed from 120 to the mid-60s before bottoming out in the mid-30s. For those looking at the 1970s as an inflation analog, you are looking at the wrong decade. The post-World War II playbook will work, and that is the game plan in motion, whether by design or by accident. Important data from Friday, Fed's favorite measure from inflation is coming down. 
Consumer sentiment is recovering. Remember, we've covered many times inflation and consumer sentiment are tied at the hips. Well, as inflation has come down, this is the core PCE, the Fed's favorite indicator, was up only one-tenth of 1% month-on-month and 4.6% year-on-year versus the previous print of 4.8%. And sure enough, consumer sentiment has bottomed from 51. It's now at 58 so we're back on the way up. The Fed was among the first to aggressively tighten. They'll be the first to slow the pace and pivot. As we saw in Salesforce and other earnings guidance, the strong U.S. dollar from tight policy has started to weigh on earnings, also on emerging markets. The dollar will weaken when the Fed changes pace, which could be as early as this month. Uh, Fed President Esther George said lags from policy are long and variable. Harker said that 80 of 86 hikes since 1983 75 of them were under 50 basis points and 75 basis points is unusual and he says 50 basis points is still substantial so the implication is they want to see the lagged effect of recent 75 basis point hikes before going too aggressively uh, uh, on, on more 75 basis points or too fast of a quantitative tightening schedule the jobs report and cpi ppi numbers in september are more important than jackson hole uh, it's natural to have consolidation off a huge move of ju- uh, June lows that caught managers off sides. So we've been through that. Um, Fed has completed one third of quantitative tightening that was scheduled to this point. Two thirds is incomplete. Uh, the QE, QE is Hotel California. You can check in, but you can never leave. The ECB has already figured that out. They're back with a new QE facility uh, for the periphery bonds after hedge funds shorting Italian bonds at the highest level since 2008. Recession expectations are now higher than April of 2020 and March of 2009. These were bottoms, not tops. Times to be buying, not selling. No one believed the bounce and institutions are holding cash at April 2020 levels and great financial crisis levels uh, per the Bank of America survey. The pain trade is still up even if we consolidate the summer games for a few weeks. Uh, Non-commercials net short positions were the highest since April of 2020. The stock market low was in the rearview mirror when they were this short. Well, guess what? They're this short again. And they got this short. Look at this. Huge bounce off the bottom. Then you have this choppy sideways consolidation. Huge bounce off the bottom, choppy sideways consolidation. Everyone's cramming, getting too short at the exact wrong time. And you got all this follow through, all this follow through. So take the other side as our view. China, the best performers on Thursday and Friday were Chinese stocks on the PCAOB CSRC audit deal completed to keep non-SOE Chinese businesses listed in the U.S. There are about 200 of them. It now looks like Alibaba will be one of the first companies that U.S. regulators will inspect the audit papers in Hong Kong in mid-September. In case you're wondering how that will go, Sumit Kapoor, a longtime listener of our podcast, posted this from their latest annual report. It is PricewaterhouseCoopers' own signed words regarding their audits of Alibaba since 1999. Quote, in our opinion, the consolidated financial statements referenced above present fairly in all material respects the financial position of the company as of March 31st, 2022 and 2021 and the results of its operations and its cash flows for each of the three years in the period uh, March 31st, 2022 in conformity with accounting principles generally accepted in the United States of America it is also our opinion the company maintained in all material respects effective internal control over financial reporting as of March 31st, 2022, based on criteria established in Internal Control Integrated Framework 2013 issued by COSO. We conducted our audits 
in accordance with the standards of the PCAOB. Those standards require that we plan and perform the audits to attain reasonable assurance about whether the consolidated financial statements are free from material misstatement, whether due to error or fraud, and whether effective internal control over financial reporting was maintained in all material respects. We conducted our audits in accordance with the standards of the PCAOB. Who's coming to review their audit in mid-September? The PCAOB. So, uh, delisting was a big overhang on high-quality businesses like Alibaba. The dual listing of Hong Kong could bring as much as $30 billion of demand, mainland China buyers through the Stock Connect. This is the size of mainland ownership in Tencent. Institutions will figure this out and start to front run this new demand before the end of the year as pessimism for the region abates uh, and the dollar stops going up. Aggregate earnings have delivered an upward surprise of 9.4% for over half the 715 MSCI China index members that have reported Q2 results. Market not giving credit for turnaround yet. Even a policy rate cut and fiscal stimulus measures have failed to lift sentiment so far, but it will change. As I say, opinion follows trend. We believe it will be a huge performance contributor for us over the next 6 to 18 months. Uh, McKinsey reported uh, the cloud market's going to triple. We've covered that. Uh, Alibaba has 36.7% share. We think that's going to go up to 40 And um, you can still buy at 2014 IPO levels, despite the fact that revenues are up 800%, earnings are up 500%, and they're probably going to increase share as a result of the regulatory crackdown coming out of all of it. Buy quality businesses when they're on sale is key to long-term outperformance, but most can't do it when sentiment is despondent and and the crowd is selling in the hole. Most people prefer to follow the crowd, and that's why they never get anywhere. Uh, the key catalyst for the chart above emerging markets China to go up is that the chart below the U.S. dollar stops going up and begins to come down. That was the catalyst in 2000 when you saw this monster seven-year record rally in emerging markets in China. That will be the catalyst in 2022. If you think that the commercials green line at the bottom of the chart are going to be wrong about shorting the dollar ahead of the drop, they've been getting aggressively short in recent months, that would be the first time in history, then take the other side of the trade and stay out of emerging markets in China. If you think their 100% correct track record will persist, then you may want to add some China and emerging markets in the near future with a three to five year outlook. So you can see here, every time they got aggressively short ahead of time, the dollar inevitably rolled over, whether it was a few months later or not, uh, they're always right consistently and they've been getting aggressively short in recent months. So that's been part of our thesis. Hint, if the dollar weakens, will our debt to GDP ratio go up or down? What do you think the government is aiming for? And that's all you need to know. And once the, once the Fed slows down its pace, going from 75 to 50 or 75 to 25 and then to zero, guess what's going to happen to the U.S. dollar? So public.com, I reiterated it there. Check that out when you can. And then same thing with Fox Business, a talk hawkish, act dovish with Lauren Simonetti. I talked about the put-call ratio talked about the recession expectations being so high at the times that you should have been buying, not selling. And, uh, and then a couple of names, Meta we like, uh, J&J is a safe bet in this environment, etc. So um, why do we have so much confidence that the inflation numbers will be good this month? Well, number one, used car prices are finally rolling over now that chips are coming in and new car deliveries are picking up. Uh, gas prices are coming down daily. They've absolutely collapsed since June. The majority of CPI components are coming down. This is what Tom Lee was talking about at Fundstrat. He goes through 50 different components and how they're collapsing. 
Uh, freight and shipping rates are rolling over. This is what we said three months ago when we said inflation was going to peak. We pointed to the Drury Index, and I think it was memory and DRAM. Uh, and sure enough, those have continued to roll over. Uh, so while we expect Friday's jobs report to come in relatively okay or strong, which is bad for the bulls, the most important number of the month comes on September 13th. This is a week before the Fed meeting and the next interest rate decision. Based on the data above, we expect it to come in lower than expectations, followed by a similar outcome uh, the next day for PPI. The sentiment got washed out this week. Retail's back to crawled under a rock. Bullish sentiment at 21% bearish at 50. That's what you want to see at points near inflection. Uh, same thing happened coming out of the COVID lows. They rallied and then they rolled over. They were scared the whole way up and missed 100% of the rally. Um, uh, the fear and greed is neutral and we covered the equity allocations updated today. Earnings, uh, Carter put these out. This is the top 30 weights of uh, exploration and production. They're up 10% for 2022 and 5% for 2023. So decelerating a little bit. Uh, industrials are flattish, negative uh, 2.39 for 2022, negative uh, 2.11 for 2023. And that's what we pointed to. Overall earnings came down. Everyone was expecting that they would come down 20% in Q2. They came down 2% from 250 to 245. Uh, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, and that's with the U.S. dollar headwinds. What no one's accounting for is if the dollar stops going up and starts to moderate or even, God forbid, come down. That's going to be a tailwind for earnings that no one has priced into their models. Uh, looking at some of the economic data, uh, the job openings were strong. So that's why people are extrapolating that the jobs report will be strong, which is not uh, you know, too large a bridge to cross. Uh, there was a draw in crude inventories. Continuing claims were uh, as expected. Initial jobless claims came in lower than expected. Uh, so I think that's the component of um, inflation that just holds up. I think the job market stays relatively strong. Uh, and these other things come down, as, as Lee pointed out with this whole list and, and we've been talking about in recent weeks and months. Uh, the ISM manufacturing PMI was better than expected, so that's good to see. Prices were, were lower than expected, that's good to see. And then we'll see the jobs report tomorrow morning. Got a couple quick questions on the Ask Me Anything questions from John Wagner. Can you discuss uh, Keweenaw Land Association, uh, KEWL? Is this something you invest in? No. Uh, James, James May, Jamie May uh, is the chairman of the board. That's from Cornwall Capital, who I worked with uh, before going out on my own is the chairman of the board and they are going to use the funds from sale of timber to repurchase shares of stocks was may simply buying to get the timber value and now stuck with the remain co or is there another reason to keep the company such as copper for evs um look even if he um even he's an insider he couldn't tell me anyway i talked to ben more than i talked to jamie anyway but uh, i've never even asked him about that that's not my kind of thing that's just a special situation. You get bagged in for like five years and eventually you make money and I'm sure they will. Uh, very smart guys over there, but uh, no, because he's an insider, I can't talk to him about the company or the intentions or anything like that. Um, uh, JT Investor, Tom, what is your approach to building a position over time when you may want to achieve a certain target allocation, but as you are dollar cost averaging to establish a core position, the stock runs up, but still offers much higher upside potential. In what scenario would you feel comfortable dollar cost averaging up your basis in a position? 
Uh, thank you and have a great holiday weekend. Uh, I don't. I, I put on, when I buy a stock, I put on a position that I'm comfortable with no matter what happens. And then if it moves against me and I like the business, I, I get, I, you know, jump for joy that I can increase the size, but I just don't buy up. It's just not my, it's not my style. Never have, never will. Um, and, um, and that's how I think about it. But when it comes against me, uh, I smile with glee and I lean into it, especially if it's a really high quality business. So with that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Uh, in the meantime, make it a great one. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.